Good morning to everyone. Our reading today is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3, verses 22 through 27, and chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Chapter 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is his lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the Lamb or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. What would make uh, the defining difference in your life? I know many people are really struggling right now. Before the pandemic, life was already really difficult. But now it feels like all of these extra burdens are laid on our backs. What would make the defining difference in your life? And it's not just our lives, is it? It feels like the whole world is coming off the rails. So when you're already struggling to just hold your own life together, how in the world are you supposed to pour yourself out to make this world a better place? Friends, the book of Revelation makes all the difference in the world. It gives us something that makes all the difference, not just in our lives, it makes all the difference in the world. So for instance, why is it that the very first Christians, and you know, um, they began, there was just about 120 people 
hiding for their lives in a room in Jerusalem just a few weeks after Jesus had died, risen from the dead, and ascended to heaven. They were hiding for their lives, about 120 of them. They had no military power, no cultural power, no political power. And yet, within a few hundred years, they transformed the ancient world. How? And we have to say, of course, that over the centuries, of course, the church has done horrible things. We have to acknowledge that. And yet, how was it that these first Christians, in spite of the unimaginable suffering and persecution that they were facing, they were still somehow able to transform the world? They started the first hospitals, the first orphanages. They organized systems for caring for the poor. They rescued babies from trash heaps. They were a radically multi-ethnic, multicultural community. In fact, slaves and women flocked to the church in those days because they found a dignity and an empowerment that was not available to them anywhere else in the ancient world. There was something so radical, so unique, and so different about the early church that not only did it transform their lives, it transformed the world. What was it? Friends, this passage that we just read shows us what would make all the difference in the world? It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God. This is the thing that would make all the difference in the world. Not just a belief in God or a longing for God or even a commitment to God, but the very presence of God himself in our lives and in this world. If you are looking for hope for the struggles of your life, the presence of God makes all the difference. And if you're looking for hope for this broken, messed up world, the presence of God makes all the difference. How? Let's find out by seeing three things in this passage about the presence of God. We're going to see the centrality of God's presence, the healing of God's presence, and lastly, the mission of God's presence. The centrality, the healing, and the mission of God's presence, okay? First, we're going to see the centrality of God's presence. Now, the book of Revelation is a vision that was given to the Apostle John that shows him God's master plan for bringing perfect justice, healing, and renewal to the whole world. So here in Revelation 21 and 22, we see the climax of that vision. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, um, this is the transformation of the whole world into what's called the New Jerusalem. This is the city of God. It's the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. We were talking about this last week. But the thing that defines this new creation is it's the place of God's dwelling. Any ancient uh, person back in the first century who had even a passing familiarity with the Bible, uh, when they read this, they would have immediately known this is the fulfillment of the whole storyline of the Bible. The presence of God, it's like a golden thread that just runs through the whole Bible. So it begins all the way back in the book of Genesis in the beginning of the Bible when God created the world. It says that he created the Garden of Eden. Now, the Garden of Eden was a temple. What's a temple? A temple is the place of God's dwelling. The Garden of Eden all the way back in the beginning was created to be 
a temple, the place of God's presence with his people. But on top of that, it tells us that God created the first human beings to rule and to care for this world on behalf of God. We were like um, um, his co-rulers in this world. But in Genesis chapter 3, the very first humans decided that they wanted to set up on their own rule. We wanted to rule the world on our own terms and in our own name. And as a result of that, everything fell under a curse. Everything fell apart, including that first garden temple. And so we were cast away from the garden, cast away from God's presence. Have you ever wondered why we feel like this world is somehow not our home? Why we feel a sense of exile, a sense of kind of just being out of sorts in this world? People describe this in different ways, but we all experience it. It's not a Christian thing. This is a human thing. So for instance, Eva Hoffman is a Polish Jewish writer and academic. Her parents were refugees from the Holocaust. And uh, so she knows firsthand what it's like to be in exile. But listen to what she says in one of her essays. She says, since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, is there anyone who does not in some way feel like an exile? We feel ejected from our first homes and landscapes, from our first romance, from our authentic self, an ideal sense of belonging, of attuning with ourselves, with others and, 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 and ourselves, eludes us. A sense of belonging eludes us. We all experience this. Or let me give you one more example. John Krakauer has written a lot of very famous adventure books. And as far as I can tell, he's not a Christian either. But listen to what he says at the end of one of his books. He writes, I don't know if God even exists. Although I confess that I sometimes find myself praying in times of great fear or despair or astonishment at a display of unexpected beauty. And if I remain in the dark about our purpose here in the meaning of eternity, I have nevertheless arrived at an understanding of a few more modest truths. Most of us fear death. Most of us yearn to comprehend how we got here and why, which is to say most of us ache to know the love of our creator. And we will no doubt feel that ache, most of us, for as long as we happen to be alive. We feel an ache. A sense of belonging eludes us. Friends, it's the presence of God. This is the central theme that exists all the way through the Bible. It's all about God, the great lover, pursuing and rescuing us in order to bring us back into his presence. And the way he does it is through temples. So we just saw in the beginning in Genesis, there was, the first temple was in the Garden of Eden. But if you go to the next book in Exodus, God rescues Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness and he says, build me a tent. The tent was the tabernacle. It was the place of God's presence with his people. Or as you continue through the story, when they get to Jerusalem, they build a temple. The temple was the place of God's presence with his people. And while all of this is going on throughout the whole story, God keeps saying something over and over and over again. It's like a theme song with him. We see that actually in Revelation 21. God says, uh, God keeps saying that he will dwell with his people, that he will be their God, and they will be his people. 
God says this over and over throughout the whole Bible. You see it in Exodus 29, in Jeremiah 31, in Ezekiel 37, in Zechariah 8, over and over again. It's like a theme song with God. I will dwell with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Friends, do you now see what's actually happening here in Revelation 21? This is it. This is the fulfillment of of the whole storyline of the whole Bible. It's the ultimate place of the presence of God. But you notice something else. In verse 22, it says, John says, I did not see a temple in the city. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, that leads to our next point. We've just seen the centrality of God's presence, but next we need to see the healing of God's presence. When verse 22 says there was no temple in the city because God is its temple, that's pointing us to one of the, the main other things that we need to understand about the temple. The reason the temple could be the place of God's presence was because the temple was also the place of sacrifice. Now, I realize to our modern ears that the idea of sacrifice, blood sacrifice, sounds very primitive, archaic, and repressive. But think about this for just a moment. When you experience a breakdown in a relationship, there's always a cost to make things right again, isn't there? There always has to be an acknowledgement of the wrong that was done. There has to be forgiveness. All of that hurts. All of that costs. When you forgive somebody, instead of making them pay, you're paying the cost to make things right. How much more infinitely true would the same thing be with God? Because think about it. When we were ejected from God's presence, exiled away from that first temple, instead of seeking reconciliation with God, look at human history. We just ended up building a bunch of alternate temples. I mean, look at our whole secular project today. We want to make the world a better place. We want to make the world a place of happiness, of joy, of justice, and flourishing. Uh, Now, we have a name for that project. We call it progress. But, um, but what is progress? Friends, human-centered progress is the secular version of what the presence of God was meant to accomplish all the time. Uh, Mark Sayers, for instance, is a wonderful Christian writer, one of the world's best cultural commentators today. He says that in the post-Christian vision, progress replaces God's presence as the engine of history. In other words, we love God's vision for the world, the idea of healing and justice and renewal for the world. We love the vision of progress, but we don't want God to be a part of it. So we look at uh, the world around us. We think of our world today as a very um, religiously neutral, very secular place, but it's not. Our world is a profoundly religious place. It's full of temples. So for instance, um, our world is full of temples of science, This is a picture of MIT. Uh, Temples of technology. This is Apple's headquarters in Silicon Valley. Temples of politics. Um, Look at the buildings in Washington, D.C. Temples of economic prosperity. This is uh, the Dubai Financial Center. Uh, Temples of consumerism like malls or uh, sports stadiums. Um, Even temples of things like social media platforms. Temples of entertainment, even temples of sexual liberation and freedom. Friends, our world is full 
of temples. But all of our temples are places of exhaustion and anxiety and depression and oppression. The, uh, all of these temples, they're constantly letting us down. They're constantly failing us. Our whole secular project is imploding around us because all of these temples, human-centered progress can never live up to its promises. The only thing that can really bring healing to our lives and healing to the world is the presence of God. And friends, that is exactly what we see here in Revelation. Notice that in the middle of this city, there was a river or is going to be a river. And it says that on each side of the river stood the tree of life and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, do you realize what this is? The tree of life is there. This means that this is a, a, a renewed garden of Eden, a renewed garden temple. The tree of life is there. It says the leaves are, are for healing. There's, there's not going to be any more curse there, no more darkness, no more night. It's going to be a place of light and joy and of healing and of renewal. That's, that's what this, this temple place is. But, um, but I want you to notice the most amazing thing of all about this new creation. In verse 4 of chapter 22, it says, they, that's you and me, uh, it says they will see his face, that's God's face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The face is the presence of God. The face is the direct presence of God. But how can that possibly be? Because one of the other things it says over and over in the Bible is that no one can see God's face and live. Why? Because of our betrayal, because of our rebellion, because of our um, seeking alternate gods and building alternate temples, because of all of that, there's been a breakdown in our relationship with God. And so in the Bible, the only way that people could come into the presence of God in the temple was if one person, the high priest, went into the innermost part of the temple all by himself. That innermost part was called the Holy of Holies. And so the high priest, what he would do is he would, he would put the name of the people on his forehead. He would sacrifice an animal, and then he would bring the blood of that animal into the Holy of Holies, into the direct presence of God in order to make atonement, that is, to pay the cost for the breakdown in the relationship. But here, in this new city, in the, in the heavenly Jerusalem, we find out that, that this new city, it's like the whole thing is now a holy of holies. And instead of one person coming into the direct presence of God, now all people are able to come directly into the presence of God and see his face and not just survive, but even to flourish. How can that possibly be? It tells us. It says, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Friends, that means that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the temple. Jesus Christ is the high priest. He's, he's not only the sacrifice and the one who brings the sacrifice, he is the place where it all happens. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, temple, and priest, because Jesus Christ, he climbed the tree of death, that's the cross, in order that we could be healed by the tree of life. And on the cross, Jesus Christ poured out his blood. He, um, Jesus got the, the curse that we deserve so that we could be receivers of the blessing. Jesus Christ got the darkness on the cross so we could get the light. You know, Jesus had, the Bible says he has the name that's above all names. That means that Jesus has 
ultimate infinite worth and value and dignity and significance because he is the one and only beloved son of God. But on the cross, Jesus Christ lost that name so that he could give it to us, so that you could receive a new name written on your forehead so that you could get a new identity. Do you, do you realize what that means for you? Why are we constantly exhausted in all of our world's alternate temples? Because we're looking for a name. We're looking for love and belonging and closure and connection. We want to heal the ache. We want to find the, the belonging that we were made for. We want to find healing and renewal for all of that. We're looking for a name. But, but this tells us that Jesus Christ gives us his name. Now, his name is written on our foreheads. And that is not a name that's based on our performance, our achievements, our virtue, our merit, our striving. It's a name that's based on Christ's performance for us on the cross. It's a whole new name. It's a whole new identity. And friends, it's a whole new mission. And that leads to our last point. We've seen the centrality of God's presence. We've seen the healing of God's presence. But lastly, we need to see the mission of God's presence. Because here's the question, you know, um, what are we going to be doing in this new creation? I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes it's easy to think of, of heaven, of the new heavens and the new earth as this place where we're just kind of sitting around passively doing nothing except maybe worshiping God endlessly. Now, there's without a doubt, we will worship God forever and ever. But if you look at verse 3 of chapter 22, it says, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants, that's you and me, says that, that we will serve him. Now, I really like the way this translation put this, because that word serve in other translations, sometimes it's translated to worship God, which is not wrong. The interesting thing about this word is it's not the normal Greek word for worship. This is a word that means both worship and service. In other words, in the new heavens, in the new earth, there's still going to be stuff for us to do. And in fact, it says that even more at the very end of the passage, it says they, that's God's people, they will reign forever and ever. They will share in God's kingship. They will share in God's rule. Remember how back in Genesis we saw that in the very beginning, God created the first human beings to rule and to care for the world on his behalf, to share and to participate in God's loving care for his creation. You realize that if that was God's mission for his people in the very beginning, and if this is going to be God's mission for us at the very end of the climax of history, that means that right now, right in the middle of, of the brokenness and the fallenness of this world right now, our mission is still the same. It is to serve God by, by being vessels of his healing presence to the whole world. If God's vision is that one day, the whole world is going to be full of the healing presence of God. Then, then do you realize what that means for you and me? I mean, notice something about this city. It's a very multi-ethnic, multicultural place. I'm, I'm talking about the city of God. So you notice in the passage, it talks about the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Um, it also says that the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. This always reminds me of the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. You know, they always have the parade of nations when all the nations are bringing their cultural distinctiveness, their cultural glory into the arena. That's kind of what, what's going on here in, in the New Jerusalem, in the city of God. Now think about this. This is very 
um, interesting. On the one hand, yes, we are all going to be united as one people because God's name is on our foreheads. We're united as one people, but at the same time, we are going to retain our cultural and ethnic distinctiveness. That means that if God's vision is that, that one day every nation, tribe, people, and tongue are going to be brought into the presence, into the healing presence of God, you realize what this means for us right now? If the only thing that can bring true, ultimate, and perfect healing to the world is the presence of God, don't you see what that means for us? It means that you and I, our mission is to serve God by being vessels of the healing presence to the world around us. Or we could put it like this. We need to be people of the presence to bear the presence to the people. We need to be people of God's presence to bear God's presence to the people. So think about all of the important causes in our world. Think about all of the important efforts that people are engaged in in order to, to help bring healing to the world, to make the world a better place. We need to be uh, working together with people to do that. We should be laboring alongside um, other people in this world to, to work for the renewal of this world. But here's the thing. If, if we simply join in uh, all of the world's human-centered progress projects, and yet there's nothing unique, nothing distinct, nothing different about us, then in the end, all we'll end up doing is simply contributing to and exacerbating the exhaustion, anxiety, and oppression of this world and all of its alternate temples. So here's the question. Remember, it's the question that we began with. What would make all of the difference in the world? What, what, what is the difference, the defining difference in the world? If God's ultimate vision is that one day his presence is going to bring perfect, ultimate, total healing to the world, because you think about it, why is it that all of our human-centered progress projects are constantly imploding, constantly letting us down? It's because the only thing that can bring healing to the world is the presence of God. That means that we need to be people of the presence to bring the presence to the people. Now, next week, we're going to talk a lot more about what it means to be shaped and formed as people of the presence. But as we close out this week, let me just give you a vision of what this could look like in our lives for us to become people of the presence, to, to be people whose very presence in the world announces an alternate reality, the presence of God. Nagai Takashi was a Japanese radiologist during World War II. When he was growing up, he was a very scientific, academic-minded young man. He didn't believe in God, um, and he was studying medicine in Nagasaki, but very close to the school in Nagasaki where he studied medicine was the Yurikami Cathedral. And every morning, the, the bells of Yurikami would ring out through Nagasaki, and, and Nagai Takashi could hear those bells during his studies. Now, he didn't believe any of that was true. He thought the bells were nothing more than a reminder of an atavistic religious superstition. But then his mother died, and it began a, a process for Nagai during which he began to read and reflect and pray and seek, and he, he eventually became a Christian. Now, in June of 1945, during World War II, Nagai Takashi was diagnosed with cancer as a result of the radiation that he had been exposed to, and he was given three years to live. He thought that his wife 
Midori was going to be a widow. But then in August of 1945, the atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. And uh, Takashi barely survived. His wife did not survive. And as Takashi worked his way through the rubble of the city back to their home, he found in the ashes of their home a cross that his wife had been holding in her hand. That cross announced to him the presence of God. It announced to him the, the presence of an alternate reality in this world. But there was one thing especially that transformed Nagai Takashi's life for the remainder of his existence on this planet. On Christmas Eve of that year, 1945, Nagai Takashi and several of his other friends worked their way once again through the rubble of the city back to the Yurikami Cathedral, but now the cathedral had been in ruins. It had been destroyed by the atomic blast. But amazingly enough, they discovered that one of the bells of the cathedral had actually survived. And so what they did was they hoisted the bell over a wooden beam, and they began ringing the bell on Christmas Eve. And as the bell rang throughout Nagasaki that night, the bell was announcing the presence of God, announcing the presence of an alternate reality, that in the midst of the ashes, in the midst of the rubble, in the midst of, of a whole world that would say this wasteland is the ultimate reality, the bells of, Nag of, of Yurikami were proclaiming the presence of God, announcing an alternate reality, and the guy's life was never the same after that. He spent the rest of his life uh, devoting himself to rebuilding the city, to, um, to helping to bring healing to the lives of the survivors, to um, devoting himself to studying the effects of radiation, even offering his own body for research in the studies. But throughout all of that, the one thing Nagai Takashi never stopped doing was ringing out, letting his life be an announcement of the presence of God, sharing his faith in Jesus with all of the other survivors of the city. Friends, Nagai Takashi, his whole life was a bell ringing out the presence of God. What would happen in your life? What would happen in your home, in your family, in your workplace, in your community? What would happen in this world if you were being transformed more and more into a bell ringing out the presence of God? Friends, when you trust in Jesus, you receive a new name, a new identity, a new mission. That the, the presence of Jesus comes into your life and it begins to bring healing into your life. It, it begins to move you from curse to blessing, from darkness to light, from ashes to renewal. It makes all of the difference in your life. And friends, when that happens, it begins to make all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the healing and the renewal that you bring to our lives through your glorious presence. Lord, there is nothing else in the world that can make the difference that we desperately need aside from your presence. We pray this morning that you would help us to see your presence, to seek your presence, to expect your presence, to trust in your presence. Lord, we pray that you would transform us by your presence, that you would truly make us people of the presence so that we would be able to bear your presence among the people. Father, help us more and more to be transformed by your presence, that we would be agents of your healing, transforming presence to the world around us. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.